0: KYW Radio Original Podcasts. It's just a good conversation with somebody that you didn't know you were interested in. I'm Matt Leon, and this is One on One.
1: For young incoming guys to, to understand, you can be a big leaguer coming into Delaware just as easy as you can going to Power 5 school. It's possible. You can get there. So if that's your dream, that's your end goal, you can make it. So we've proven that out. We're going to have more future big leaguers here in the near future.
0: And our guest this week is Jim Sherman. He is the head baseball coach at the University of Delaware. Jim, thanks so much for taking the time.
1: Thanks, Matt. Good to be here.
0: Well, as we're talking here, it is mid-October. Uh, you guys were able to get a season in in the spring. Looks like you played about thirty-six games despite the pandemic. Pretty close to a regular season for you. Did you have to cut things down?
1: Yeah, we only we only played thirty-four, um, which is not the typical fifty-six that you play. So that's you know twenty-two less games. Um, yeah, you know, that was a university decision. So. Um, and it was a, you know, it was a, it was a rough season overall, um, not playing the full schedule, and then also having some bumps in the road with some guys physically, especially arms that were out. So, um, yeah, last year was a was a tough one.
0: Is the hope at this point, and obviously it's always a fluid situation, but as normal as we're kind of used to in the spring, if if everything goes well.
1: Yeah, yeah, we're back to normal. We're, we're, we've got our full fifty-six games slated for the for the spring, and our first two trips uh, down south. We open up uh, at Stetson, and then the following weekend we're over at uh or down in uh, Florida Atlantic down there in Boca Raton. So we got two great trips uh, uh, ahead of us.
0: So let's talk about your life in baseball. You're a Delaware native. Were you? baseball all the time as a kid, or were you, uh, whatever was going on in the neighborhood or whatever was in season?
1: Yeah, I did it all. Um, you know, I played, uh, obviously football, basketball, baseball. Um, I actually wrestled. Uh, so I was, um, playing all the sports, uh, jumping from season to season as a kid and, um, did that all the way up through, through high school.
0: When does baseball start to rise to the top for you?
1: it was, it was happening uh, in my days of high school. Um, you know, I was also a pretty good football player and, and got some opportunities being recruited for football, but um, you know, baseball was starting to come to the forefront and I kind of knew that was my avenue. Uh, by the time I got into my junior year, um, I knew that, you know, that, that was future uh, baseball.
0: You end up going to the University of Delaware. Was it a slam dunk to go there, or were there other schools in the mix at that point?
1: Well, you know, like most young kids, you always have this dream of going far away west or south. But um, I'm from a fairly big family, and my parents came to watch me play. And uh, Delaware was kind of um, a lot easier for our family um, and also financially, too. Um, but I also got, I got recruited to do both at Delaware to play football and, uh, and baseball. Um, and then eventually I just chose the the path to play baseball.
0: Was it a tough decision or were you just kind of looking at the cards on the table and this makes the most sense?
1: Yeah, it, it was, it was tough. Um, I remember telling coach Tubby Raymond, the hall of famer football coach here at the university. That I was deciding to play just just football and um he blasted me pretty good you know um and obviously they had put some time in recruiting me um but um I just knew that 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 was my avenue if I was going to have a further future after college and that would have been professional baseball um I would sit up in the stands watching the football game squirming and twisting and turning and um at times wishing I was out there but um I, you know I, I in the long run I, I I know I made the right choice
0: what position did you play in football
1: I was a quarterback in high school and a strong safety um I had gotten recruited here as a strong safety um and then uh, later um Tubby had asked me to potentially um switch over and to play quarterback when I came into the university and then that that's kind of made my decision to stay with baseball only because as a skill position you know quarterback running back uh you're going to have to be out there for spring practice and that's in the heart of baseball season so i decided to just stay with stay with baseball
0: what position were you when you were an infielder weren't you baseball well i i
1: i was a i was a outfielder um in in uh all through high school and college baseball and as i got drafted that's what i was i was a you know very typical right fielder type you know pretty pretty big guy at that time six two you know two oh five two ten um had a real strong arm and um so that's what i did my my first year with the astros My first spring training with the Astros um, they came to me and said hey listen we think you're a pretty good athlete and uh, we'd like to make you a third baseman and we think that would be your fastest avenue to the big legs and um, because at that time the Astros really didn't have um, much power uh, in their organization and they just thought that would be a a faster way for me to get to the big legs so I did it and um, I didn't do it exactly very well playing third base Um, you know, I mean, my whole life is, was more, more or less an outfielder. I've done some other, you know, I caught a little bit, but it was a, it was a big change. And, um, and, and, but, you know, it was a decision on my career path and, you know, maybe, maybe faster.
0: I'll talk more about that in a second. When you're at Delaware and you mentioned, you know, you choose baseball, you think you've got the longest, the, the chance for, you know, to, to go with it the longest, was there a point when you really started to realize that professional baseball wasn't just like a dream or a hope, but this this is going to happen? There's a really good chance this is going to happen, and I need to start looking at it through those frames that, you know, I'm going to have decisions to make and, you know, kind of looking long term. Do you remember the moment when it started to crystallize?
1: Yeah, um, yeah. Well, I came off a real good freshman year. Uh, we really had a, a really good team in 79 here at Delaware. Uh, we went to the regionals and made it to the final game um, in that regional, which was hosted by Florida state. We knocked off Florida state. We knocked off Florida. Uh, we lost to eventual Arkansas who went on to the world series and finished second that year in the world series. Um, I then, I, um, Sophomore year, still decent sophomore year, played up in Cape Cod that summer after my sophomore year. Um, That's when it really clicked that I could play uh, beyond college and play professional and, um, you know, hopefully make it to the show, as everybody calls the big leagues uh, when you're playing baseball. And um, I had a really good summer up in, in Cape Cod against, you know, the best talent basically across the country. So there was, it was, you know, lights came on that, Hey, listen, I think I can really do this thing. And, um, so the, you know, I, I had gotten drafted in my, went back the dollar junior year, got drafted by the Cubs, but didn't sign, came back to school, uh, went back up Cape Cod my junior year, had another real good summer up there and then, um,
0: got drafted, um, by the Astros in my senior year. Tough decision not to sign with the Cubs. Or was it, did it just make more sense?
1: I I didn't didn't go to the 20th round. You know, in those days, I had lots of rounds. I had about 55 rounds. But, um, you know, as as a young kid, your heart's saying, you know, your goal was to go play professional baseball. But my heart and emotions were still tied in with the university. And I I, I really felt that I I needed to complete the task, as you want to call it, and, and play my senior year and play with the guys I've been playing with. And we had a we had a good incoming freshman class. I wanted to be captain of that team. Um, we went on to the regionals that year. And then the, the, another major part was Coach Anna, uh, my coach. Um, the best guy I've ever dealt with on a baseball field in my whole career, um, as class act as a guy that you want to be around in the game of baseball. So it, that played into it as well. I, I wanted to play another year with Coach Hanna. I knew I'd get another opportunity to draft it. Let's put the, the summit up. Where some guys feel if I don't sign now, I don't get another chance. I knew I'd get another chance.
0: So when you do get that next chance in the Astros, did you know anything about the Astros organization? Were you surprised or had they kind of been in contact and you thought, yeah. uh, there's a good chance this is how it's going to go?
1: Well, of course, I knew who the Astros were. I mean, you know, I'd be following Major League Baseball. Um, they had an old-time scout named Cleary Anderson. Um, he had been watching me up Cape Cod. Um, he was from over in Jersey. Um, but he saw me, you know, play those summers up in Cape Cod when he was up there. So I knew they were interested. Um, so when it happened, it was like, you know, of course, I was a homegrown Phillies fan, and, you know, that would have been, you know, icing on a cake if you're drafted by the Phillies. But um, it really didn't matter. I just wanted to go play and, and, and have that opportunity.
0: What's the transition to pro ball like once you sign and get into the organization? Is it does it feel at first like, wow, this is really a step up? Or were you pretty comfortable that, you know, maybe a little bigger, faster, stronger? But, you know, I I've, I feel like I belong
1: yeah, I think the biggest adjustment for, for almost any, any young guy is just being able to handle being on your own. Um, you know, I mean, I was older, I was 22. And, um, but, you know, for those young guys that may be in, uh, you know, 18, 19 going out on their first time, it's a, it's a major adjustment. So for me, I think I was well adjusted. So I could handle that part of just being away from home, the grind of playing every single day. I was well adjusted, so I was okay with that, where for a lot of guys, it, it, it kind of destroys them. They, they just can't rally, and it's, it's, they're overwhelmed. And then I, I knew offensively I belonged. I knew that I was going to be able to you know, hit enough to, to, to make my way um, as a professional baseball player. So um, you know, I had a certain inner confidence, but I don't think I was too cocky. You know, but I I just felt that, you know, I had the right talent and the right tools to play uh, professional baseball and, and make it to the big
0: leagues. You mentioned earlier the position change where they put you to third base. That's difficult, you know, especially when you've done the out. You've been a right fielder for so long and there's so much to third base. Was it hard to not let the adjustment to the field carry over to the plate? Were you able to separate the two?
1: At times. And at times I didn't, um, you know, I kid around with some of our own players here at the university talking about, you know, making the change position. And I told him I looked like a monkey wrestling around with a football over there. I got, you know, I was a pretty good athlete, but I I got better. I just, I had more throwing issues than anything, um, because I was a long arm, you know, throwing outfielder. And then you had your double plate pivots, short arm, you know, thrown a second uh, charge plays. Um, so I struggled with those type of throws, and um, you know, mentally it worked on you a little bit, which kind of carries into a little bit what you were doing all offensively. Where in all the other years of playing the outfield, I knew if I struggled at the plate, I was a really good defender in the outfield, and I could throw uh, real well as well. So. I knew I I knew I could do the other, and if I wasn't going well offensively, if I wasn't going well offensively uh, playing third, I knew I still was going to struggle playing third defensively. So um, it was it, it played on me a little bit, uh, and it, it was a learning it was a learning experience.
0: Is there a point during your minor league career? Because looking at the numbers, it looks like for a lot of years you played outfield and third and and moved around is there a discussion where you say you know i'm more comfortable in the outfield it might be better for everyone i mean that's easy to say from the outside not when you're a young player in a in a professional organization but does the thought come up that are there any of those conversations
1: yeah yeah i mean we 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 talked to I talked with the brass as we would call it you know the upper upper management you know um, our minor league director and um our assistant gm would come in um it was ironic because in the spring of 85, I, you know, we had that discussion about going back to the outfield and um, they said, you know, just keep, keep cracking at it one more year. And then if it doesn't work out, maybe go back to the outfield. And, you know, I I had one of my better years and I made the Double A all-star team that year. So uh, part of me was going, Oh, you know, like they're going to really want to keep me now at third. Yeah, you know, we kind of the following year when I broke for big and for um for triple A, we were going to go back to the outfield and I was playing and then I, I had got hurt uh two different separate injuries that kind of derailed my career um, from that point. So but no, we did have those discussions about you know going back to the outfield.
0: And those injuries, because you mentioned you have that great season, uh I think it was with Columbus in double A. Uh, and then after that, it's only a handful of games in AAA. And then I think you played a year out in Boise in independent ball. Were they yeah, injuries that, we- that you at the time you realized that this is really serious? Or was it just kind of something that you were never able to get right?
1: Yeah, and I don't know where on that stat thing that Boise came up. I was I don't know, it's one of those. It's I never played in Boise. So, oh, OK, um, <laughs> I know, I know I, and I've seen it on my own stat line. I'm like Boise, 87. I was coaching Wilmington University uh, in 87. So I don't know unless there's another Jim Sherman they crossed up with, but um, but yeah, um, I, I had I had a late knee, it, kind of a surgery going into spring before spring training. Got to spring training, in 86. Um, it wasn't 100. percent Went to Tucson, Triple A. Uh, could probably only play about every third day before my knee would start to swell again. We're in Honolulu. Uh, that's where the Pirates trip away back then. Was in Honolulu. Not a bad place to play. I'm in the outfield in this game. I dove for a ball and I broke my thumb on a ball um, in Aloha Stadium with that old turf. Where they, remember they used to play the old All Pro mm-hmm. years ago. Um, and then that derailed me. So I had a knee issue. I had the thumb issue. And then it was just, um, I just never could get back on track physically. And then, then it was, that was, you know, they came to me and said, let's, let's go down and see if you can, you know, get back in shape. Uh, cause I was on a DL for a while and, um, let's go down to, you know, down to Daytona, which is our Florida state league game, uh, team and see if you can rehab. And I was like, uh. Eh you know, I don't want, I don't feel like riding the buses again. You know, once you get trip, boy, you're flying. And you're, 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 you feel you're this close. So um, I said, I need a little bit of time to sit down and talk about my future and take a few days off. And, and that's when I decided to uh, call it a career. How hard is that? Well, it was ironic because I came back home um, from Tucson, to spend a little time, think about it I came back here in Delaware and uh, you know I sat down with my father and talked about it and then um, I ran into the athletic director at it was Wilmington College at that time it's Wilmington University now a guy by the name of John Bednash and he said "Um, what are you doing I thought you're playing it and I told him I said well I'm hurt I'm on a DL and uh, they want me to go rehab, and I don't know if I'll play anymore. I might call it a career. He said, "Do you have any interest in coaching?" He said, "We got an opening at uh, Wilmington." And I said, mm, "College baseball, I might." He said, "Jeff Taylor, um, who played here at the university before me, with his twin brother Steve Taylor, um, who was a number one pick of the Yankees. Steve was. Um, Jeff had stepped down as the coach at Wilmington to become a New York Yankees scout." Um, so he planted that seed, I left, I went back, I had to think about it. And then I just said, you know what? I think I'll do this. And, um, the rest is history. I'm, I'm still in college baseball. You know, I thought I'd be back in professional baseball in some capacity over the years. And I had some opportunities over the years, but I thought maybe I'll do a run in college and then get in, get into professional baseball, into coaching. And, um, of course, you get married, you have kids, and a lot of things change, so I just stayed on the home front
0: once you close the book on playing, are there ever moments of regret you know the next couple of years when you're still young enough, you know where if you wanted to go back, and eh, you know what I got connections i I could probably still give it a try. I'm feeling better, or once you were done, you were good, and you were happy with the coaching, and that you know the rest the rest is history.
1: Yeah, ironically, um, for two straight years the Astros sent me a contract, so they didn't, didn't fully release me. I was still under contract with the Astros in the sense of you know their property. I was tempted, tempted to go back in '87. I was thinking about it um, after the '87 season, and then um, I just you know I I I, I had just got married and, um had a child on the way and i just you know i had to make that call and um so i i don't i don't have regrets that you know i got married or i had a kid i just your only regret is really not making it to the big leagues and having that opportunity to have that 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 unbelievable moment of being a big league baseball player
0: when you think back to your playing career in the minors you know, and at Delaware, what are what are the best memories you have? Like, if you think about your career as a player, what are the one or two things that that pop right to the top?
1: Well, one, playing for Coach Hanna, classiest guy I've ever dealt with as a baseball player. or I even coached with him, so that memory comes right to the top. Um, the regional teams that we we had at Delaware, we were we were in the rankings in the top twenty five rankings three of the four years back then. People don't realize that. Um, So uh, beating Florida and Florida State in the regionals in, in my freshman year, the minor league experience is you know everything that I thought it was going to be. Um, you know it's a it's a struggle, it's a grind. Um, people don't realize how underpaid those guys are, and you know we we're hearing about those issues as we speak. You know that's an ongoing fight. I made six hundred dollars a month my first professional contract. And um, I mean, hell! I mean, you got to pay your rent. You know, you got to eat. Um, you know, gas money. It, I mean, it's it, it's just to make it. Um, so you got to have some resources, either parents helping you out or uh, some money saved up from some you know jobs during the winter. So, um, uh, but the the enjoyment of of my ball was just the whole deal with trying to trying to just keep making your way up the rung of the ladder. And then, you know, making the All-Stars team in in Double-A was was fun. And then all the relationships that you had in college and professional baseball, I I still we just had our golf outing, um alumni golf outing here at University. Uh and tons of guys from from the, the those times that I played in the 70s and early 80s, um all all come back and 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 all have come back over the years and all have given back. Um so yeah, you know, those those are the most important things of the relationships.
0: Is there a place and not necessarily a home team you played for, but one of the cool things about the miners is how there's just teams everywhere and you go places that you would never go, you know, under normal circumstances. Is there one or two towns, stadiums that just stand out for whatever reason, just from a life experience standpoint that you, you, you think back to? Well,
1: Tucson and Triple A was cool. I mean, you talk about a true cowboy town, you know, when guys just walking around, you know, the streets are going into a store. They're all, you know, they carry six shooters on the side of them, you know, out there. So those dynamics were, were eye opening to me. Um, playing in Nashville, um, the Nashville Sounds um, were a double A at that time. And their scoreboard was a big guitar. Um, that was that was kind of cool. Um, you know, I, I was all, Honolulu was fun. You know, so I, I had a chance to go to Hawaii. You know, I've been all over. You know, you've been to Vancouver, you know, Calgary, you know, a lot of different places in the PCL League. So I went to places I never would have dreamed of going um, um, if, if I was never in, you know, minor league baseball. So it was. Um, I played in Columbus, Georgia, which was not so. We played in Golden Park. It was a really run-down ballpark, which you know in today's you know baseball yards, um, they just they, they're just magnificent. And that was just an old ballpark, and we didn't get very good crowds. The only crowds we would get was that's where Fort Benning is um, in Columbus, Georgia. And they'd bring all those military guys, march them in, you know, maybe 5,000 of those guys, and they'd pack the stadium. And um, they let those guys run to the concession stands for about five innings, and they get as drunk as they could over five innings, and they start their cat calls and,
0: and getting all crazy. So that was, that was a great experience there. Time for a break on one on one, and we will have more with Delaware baseball coach Jim Sherman right after this. And we are back our guest this week on -on one-on-one Jim Sherman, head baseball coach at the university of Delaware. So you take over coaching at Wilmington and I think NAIA at that point, they're D2 now, but uh, yeah, right.
1: Yeah, exactly. NAIA. And and there's, and there's, and it was really good baseball in different areas across the country. Lewis Clark is still um, one of the premier programs uh, out there in Idaho. Um, and we met, we met up, you know, they were in the world series, the two, two years I was out uh, in the, in the world series. But um, yeah, that was, that was the start of my coaching career.
0: How do you feel at first? You had success. I think you, you won like two thirds of your games that first year and won the district 19 championship. But what do you, you know, what do you have to learn? What do you, what comes natural? What, was something you had to deal with on a regular basis. That when you agree to be a coach, you're like, "Wow, I never thought about that's going to be part of the job."
1: Yeah, I think I kind of rolled into that 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 role of head coach more like a player coach, if that's kind of understandable. Um, we had an older team. We had some guys like Michael Hate and Scotty Rowe and Dave Van Horn, um, all seniors, all all well-versed college baseball players. So they were a big help. And and we were pretty good, um, actually. And, um, you know, we just built upon it. And the good thing about NAIA, um, you had different kind of rules. You didn't have the continuous years. You had five years to play four. You could play two years and then take off four years and then come back to play. Um, They did everything off of semesters. Um, So I was getting guys bouncing back um, who walked away from playing or, or flunked out, um, had some academic issues. We were able to get them back on track. Um, I recruited a kid named Billy Cannon. Um, I saw him at dollar semi-pro ball game here in Delaware. Um, he was, you know, 26 years old. Um, I talked to him later on. Um, he was bartending. I went to this place to have a beer. He was bartending and talked about his his experience of playing he said he played at Westchester for a year blah 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 didn't work out and i said well do you ever think about coming back playing he goes i can't do that i'm too old i said no nah, not 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 here at wilmington nai and i said i got some scholarship money i can help you out and billy came to wilmington and ended up being one of our better pitchers so those were the fun things and and the the older players you know gave me a lot of help along the way and then, you know, you, you got to start to build your staff a little bit. And I had some great coaches help out and we played at our local American Legion field stall Post, which recently, um, Wilmington purchased now, it's their, it's their land and their facility. And then, uh, university, you know, the college at that time was, was really good to me personally. And then I, and then I became the athletic director. So I was a baseball coach and athletic director all the way up through, uh, 94 and, we went to the NAI World Series in 90 I mean the NAI World Series in 92 and then 94 and we had some really good really good teams
0: what was the how was the the juggling act of being the athletic director in addition to being the coach cuz i you know in in covering and doing games and stuff i i have a lot of i you know i work with a lot of people who at a division 2 or division 3 or NAIA level are doing both And it's funny, you go into their office 10 minutes before tip-off and you have this hallowed thought of what pregame is like before a a big game. And they're on the phone talking about, you know, the commercial washer just just broke and can you get here (laughs) by, you know, 8 a.m. tomorrow to fix it because volleyball has to go on the road. Like, was that overwhelming at any point, just keeping those balls in the air but also trying to be focused on your group and what your squad's trying to do?
1: Well, I had to, you know, learn on the job. You know what I mean, uh, I mean, I was um, um, not necessarily prepared from an administrative standpoint, but eventually, you know, I learned on the job. Now, we, we only had five teams at that time. Um, so um, and I, I had some really good coaches and in, in all those all those teams. Um, so they were they were a big help. Um, I was a one man show. Initially, I just had myself. Um, and eventually I, you know, I did hire, um, a young girl as a secretary, and then I didn't really need as much as a, a secretary as much as I needed a, a assistant AD. And then I was able to hire an assistant AD to give me, uh, some help in that area. He was our volleyball coach, uh, Craig Wolf. So, um, so that kind of worked out well, um, all the sports, you know, were competitive. We, you know, we put, we had both baseball and, uh uh, baseball, baseball and, and softball. We had basketball, men and women, and we had volleyball. Uh, one of the years we all went to the national championships, um, in NAIA. So that w- I was kind of proud of that. You know, we just kind of continued to build, uh, the athletic program. And we had great, um, leadership by our president, Audrey Doberstein and, uh, Jack Barcelona, who has recently stepped down, um, in uh, recent last few years. And then uh, uh, we had um, another individual, Dr. Harmon. Uh, She came on Laverne uh, Harmon. She came on board um, somewhere kind of right towards the tail end of before I was leaving. So I was lucky. I was surrounded with really good people. And um, I just lived and learned on the job. Um, Probably made my mistake as I would look back now um, at some of the decisions or whatever you would do. I said, I might, might might've done that a little different, but, um, I think it, I think it went well. And I really enjoyed that experience.
0: So I think in 95, you come to Delaware as associate baseball coach. I mean, obviously it's your alma mater, so you've got connections and all, but how does it come together?
1: Coach Hannah and I had been talking since 92 about eventually maybe coming down, um, as his assistant, um, you know he he had you know um, you know the the vision of me taking over the program, um, so when it came came together. Um, we um, we agreed that the fall of '94 was going to be the time that I was making the transition from Wilmington to uh, to Delaware. Uh, really Carpenter actually played a major part of that. Who just recently passed away, uh, really. Former owner of the Phillies. And um we started in 94 and um it was a great match. Coach Hanna was a very good pitching guy. I was a hitting guy. And uh we had a lot of regional runs during that time frame. He only wanted to coach three more years. Um, I talked him into coaching three more years after that. Um, it didn't matter to me whether I was assistant coach or the head coach. Um He was closing in on a thousand wins in his career. There's only so many coaches in division one baseball that have won a thousand games at their institution. Um, He ended up being one of the like 20 guys in division one baseballs to do that. So that was something that um, we, we took pride in and, and, and wanting him to accomplish. And um, he did that. And um, and so he, you know, he coached three more years, and then um, I, I took over. You know, after the two thousand season.
0: You mentioned he was a pitching guy. You were a hitting guy. I've seen a couple different places uh, people talk about how good of a hitting instructor you are, and it's interesting to me because a lot of times when players are really good hitters, they will, or really good pitchers, they struggle to coach that simply because. It's hard to get over the hump of why can't you just do that? That should be simple, but it's simple for you. It's not simple for everyone. Did you encounter any of that, or did it always just come natural, the explaining kind of how to be a good hitter to other people?
1: That's a good question, really, man. I mean, I think I stumbled like anybody else who had their share of success trying to translate some of your own thinking. Um, probably guys who played for me could speak better about it than I can. Um, but um, I think I learned and, and and along the way how to be a better hitting instructor. Um, I'm not a big mechanics guy as much as I am an approach guy. Um, I think that's one of the things guys would tell you about me. Um, I think the mechanics start to get lost uh, and jumble the mind a little bit too much. And um, there's so much that goes into it where I think if you're sound on a basic mechanic, but your approach is, um, what leads you to the finish line. Um, I think that was my, my approach. And I think a lot of guys filed that. And, and, you know, I had a share, my share of guys that were pretty successful successful with it. So, um, again, you know, it's a, it's a learning process. There, there's times now as an older hitting guy, um, kids are coming from all these different academies, you know, summertime and at nighttime and, and they use all the bells and whistles, you know, the hit tracks and, um, all the, all the, all the information that's fed to them, all the analytics. Um, I just feel they're overloaded and, um, swing angles, everything. And um, I try to just kind of be real refreshing and try to be, you know, less informational for mechanics is more just from a approach type of, type of hitting. So some may say a little, a little bit old school, um, but I do believe it still works.:
0: So you take over as head coach at 2000, 2001, you're taking over at your alma mater and you're replacing a legend. Mm-hmm. Pressure? Like anytime you become a head coach in Division One specifically, there is a certain amount of pressure that goes with the job. But it would seem to me you've got a couple extra layers on top because of circumstance. Did you feel that at the time, or not really? Well, I,
1: yeah, of course anybody would, would feel that pressure replacing somebody of that stature of Coach Hannah. Um, pressure and probably pride both are kind of connected there. Uh, pride to be taken over from my alma mater. Um, uh, pressure was you know to con- continue the, the dominance that we were having in the America East, which we did. We, we The following year we won it, went to the regionals, went out to Ohio State. Uh, the next Pressure part was the conference change. We made the conference change to the CAA um, back in 2002 um, in a much higher level uh, conference baseball, and um, I was all for it and um, and loved it. Um, but we just quite weren't real prepared. Uh, we didn't have a full time pitching coach. Uh, we didn't have that for many years uh, after that, but. Um, that was more pressure, um, making the conference change than anything.
0: Is there a moment, as your coach, as your coach at Delaware, and you mentioned that great first year, but that you felt like you know you've arrived? Like was it right away that first season when you guys had that type of success? Uh, just kind of a moment where you exhaled and said, you know, I'm I'm feeling good about this.
1: Well, um, we had a good club. Um, and we, we always, I thought we were in a right conference to win. Um, we were the more Southern team in that conference. Um, so we would play that off in our recruiting. Um, if we were matching up against other schools in our conference, uh, ah, we're more the Southern conference, better weather, that kind of stuff. But, um, but it was it was short-lived because we made this decision to go to the CAA. I think if we would have stayed uh, in the America East over the, the next 10 years, we probably would have went to six more regionals. Um, and no knock on America East, and no knock on our time in the America East. Just the level of play competitively was much, much greater in the CAA. And we had really good runs um, in those earlier years in the CAA we made the conference championships. We just could never get over the hump. Uh, We would lose in the conference championship, like three, three years, uh, different years throughout that cycle until we broke through back in 2017.
0: You mentioned that was my next question. 2017, you guys do win the title. You get the, you know, you get into NCA regionals. It's obviously exciting. How satisfying is it to, to get back and to do it in the CAA and, and such.
1: Yeah, well, it was a long run. It's kind of, you know, monkey off your back. And, um, you know, I know people probably would criticize why hadn't they been back to the regionals and and well understood. I, I get it. I was frustrated. Um, but the, the combination of, of, you know, pitching was always critical during all those years, all those, you know, conference championships where we just couldn't get over the <laughs> hump. And we just never had enough pitching. Um, We always had the offense, but in, and finally when we got there in 2017, we had both combination offense and pitching. And um, we just hit the hell out of the ball um, in that, in that conference playoffs as well. And we got great pitching. And um, so that combination finally, finally came through for us. It just had never been a real consistent uh, formula uh, throughout my career here at Delaware
0: coaching. How have you changed as a coach over the years, style wise or focus wise?
1: Well, my longtime assistant Dan Hammer's been with me 26 years. He would tell you be the first to tell you I'm really mild. Uh, I've I've I've, uh, I've really calmed down, and I think that that goes hand in hand with age. Can't be running around, but then again, you watch Pete Carroll with the Seattle Seahawks. He runs around like a like a a 28 year old coach. I think the how you approach young guys and some of their 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 struggles and the dynamics of coaching young kids today is much different than it was 20 years ago. So you've had to change along the way with that. And I think that I've done that. Um, I think there's there's teaching methods that some things I don't necessarily agree with, but, um, but they're out there and that's where a lot of these kids are being honed in on. And um, so you got to kind of feed them some of that information because that's what they have learned uh, through their high school or travel ball team. So um, so I've changed in that way a little bit. Um, I'm still, you know, what I would refer to as a little old school on some of the uh, methods and approaches that I do. And um, I always say old school isn't necessary a wrong way it, it can still be just as successful so um i think just being um, a little bit more mellow um in in your um approach with young guys um is, is one of the biggest things and then knowing how to communicate even greater um now that i'm older you know where you know at one time i was real young and then another time i, I could be more like a father figure and now more like a grandfather figure um so um I enjoyed you know, each segment of my career. Um, I'm probably enjoying this segment the most, um, just because it's it's a it's a it's a closeness to players, uh, more about just being a young man and not as much as pushing them to be, you know, this unbelievable baseball player, but just trying to be a, a better, well-rounded individual. Um they end up being a a, a good baseball player. Great. And if if they become just an average, that's okay. Um, so I think that relationship has changed. I was always more about them just being a a great player, a real good player. And, um, now with age, I kind of, have kind of come come full circle and really, really have a, a better understanding of, you know, their future and my role. Um, Of why I'm here and all that kind of stuff so that's probably the biggest biggest change
0: you've had a lot of players go on to play pro baseball at one level or another you've had guys get to the big leagues what's the the pride to have a kid that came through your program be able to to reach the the biggest stage and and have success
1: yeah well um you know we had Kevin Mensch who was I mean he was just he was unbelievable uh, the three years that he's been here and You know, he had 33 home runs his sophomore year. 33 in a college season. You know, unbelievable. Uh, Made it up in the big leagues, played with the Texas Rangers, played with the Milwaukee Brewers. Um, He was a whole cut above the average kid that we would ever have here. We have Chad Cool, who's been with the – is with the Pittsburgh Pirates, been in their rotation. Uh, They've been using him out of the pen lately. Um, I still stay in contact with both those individuals. Um, they mean a lot to Delaware baseball. We've had other ones over the years. Um, we've had, you know, ton of minor league guys. So it, it gives you a lot of pride and it, it gives, it gives a, um, a a shooting point for, for young incoming guys to, to understand you can be a big leaguer coming into Delaware, just as easy as you can going to, you know, a power five school. Um, it's possible you can get there. So if that's your dream. That's your end goal you can make it. So, uh, so we've proven that out. Um, I think we're, we're going to have more future big leaguers um, here in the near future.
0: And you you talked about when you were talking about, you know, how you've changed as a coach, kind of connecting with the players, when you talk about the entire experience of what you do as a coach, what is your favorite part? You know, is it relationships? Is it game day? Is it the bus ride after a big win? Like if you had to kind of put a depth chart, what would be at the top, maybe your top one or two things that really keep you going in this job?
1: Well, for me, game day is probably the biggest part because I love I love the managing part of games. Um, the strategic part of it. And I'm still out of third base coaching box, so not moving around as fast, you know, but I'm out there and I like that part. Uh, making the decision, you know, whether to bring a kid first or third, or sending a kid home on a on a ball in the gap. What um, uh, the strategic things that happen during the game? That's that's the fun part of coaching. Uh, right, right underneath that is is the relationships. Like I mentioned earlier in the show, uh, our alumni outing that we have every year, where we have 110, 120 guys out there and seeing some old faces, uh, seeing some you know fairly fresh faces out of the, out of the program. Um, I continue to interact with a lot of the players um, from my playing days, from my coaching days, um, still kid around with many of them, text them. You know, I got a saying, shake the sheets. That means get the hell out of bed. Let's get rolling. Um, so they get that text. Our, our players, current players get those texts all the time. Um, so I enjoy that part. Of uh, interaction with the guys, and it's something I'll truly miss when when I'm out of this business is that real interconnection, um, you know, with the current players. I will always have it, you know, with former players. But once you once you walk off the field, you're not you're not coaching it anymore. Uh, so that that part I'll I'll definitely miss.
0: Jim Sherman, this was fun. Thanks so much for the time.
1: Maddie, I appreciate it, and Delaware Baseball appreciates it.
0: And that will do it for this week's episode. Want to thank Delaware head baseball coach Jim Sherman for being our guest this week. If you like the show, you want to help us out. If you listen on Apple Podcasts, go ahead and leave us a rating and a review. You can follow the show on Twitter at One On One Pod. You can follow me on Twitter as well at Matt Leon 1060. Thanks so much for listening. And be sure to check us out again next week when we bring you another conversation with someone you should know more about.